You're listening to The Watchers, a show where two women from opposite ends of New Jersey watch movies that really should have ended in polyamory, honestly. (laughs) There were several times where I was like, is this about to be the most progressive 80s teen romance that I've... Sadly, no. Uh, No. Sadly, no. 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 I'm Jody, (laughs) And I'm Andrea. We did it. You're much better at remembering to say our names than I am. I don't know why that is. But yes, this movie should have ended in a throuple. The three of them had just been like, you know what? We're all vibing. Yeah. And I know that like I, that tends to be my like (laughs) read on a lot of movies. But this one really allows for it in a way that is, it's either like, none of you should ever be talking to anyone else again, or you should all be in a, a beautifully open and committed and ethically non-monogamous relationship exactly it's one or the other because there were vibes there were there were capital v (laughs) vibes at some moments in this movie kind of between everybody at every point yes i totally forgot about some of those moments until i rewatched it and went oh okay there was i mean we'll get in we'll get into it but i just want to say very quickly some of the like it again i know that i am just you know, programmed to apply this lens in general. But there were a few times before we got far enough into the movie that I knew like what the filmmakers wanted from us watching it. Yeah. Where I was like, are we going to find out that Watts is canonically queer and that she is pining for, but it's, it is weird how sadly no in like female desire versus like envy. Like those things can weirdly look. Oh yeah. S- similar. Yeah. Anyway. Well, let's, <laughs> So not to get into the deep end immediately, but I, the internet frustrated me because I was searching for um, like references to this as a queer movie because everybody I know that's on that spectrum somehow that's female identified, especially also people that identify as non-binary, I think. And also, I mean, everybody, (laughs) everybody I've talked to in this world that has seen this movie has some sort of like connection to Watts and the fact that I could not find a good amount on that online, other than the dissertation that we found when we were talking about Legend of Billie Jean, mm-hmm. there is, so this is why I said the internet frustrated me. Uh, apparently, Lane Moore, one of my uh, favorite internet follows, mm-hmm. um, wrote, an, uh, wrote a number of articles in a series called Secretly Gay Movies. And, this and is... she wrote about this movie, but she wrote about it for Nerve, a now defunct website. Um... And that that article cannot be found anywhere. She also has written um, entries in that series for Autostraddle, I think. Um, but the one on this movie is we should hard reach to find. out. Yeah, we should because she's she just put out a new book too. You um, will find your people. Yeah. Her first book was How to Be Alone. I love her. She's great. She also does Tinder Live. Oh, this looks lovely. You will find your people how to make meaningful friendships as an adult. Yeah. No, she's fantastic. She talks a lot about, like, um, the way that, like, childhood trauma affects uh, social interactions as an adult. You're listening to The Watchers, a book club podcast. (laughs) It's gonna happen. I know. I know. Oh, yeah. So we watched some kind of wonderful. And it was some kind of... Something. Oh, I think this is going to be another case of like, I watched this movie at the right time and you watched it at the adult time. Which I think is really fucking fun. I kind of really like when this happens. Yeah. Um, I will say that what I said to you, 
I will say that what I said to you, uh-huh. I think all you need to know about how I felt watching this movie is that about 10 minutes from the end, I said, not saying I'm not having a great time, but I have no idea what anyone in this movie is doing. Yeah. And I think that's fair. I mean, I think that one thing that we're going to talk about is how John Hughes was just kind of John Hughesing all over the place in this movie. Oh, my God. It He was just like, like throwing John Hughes like tropes everywhere. I had so much in them. fun with this movie. If I didn't know that it is a John Hughes movie, there's a chance I might have been like, wow, they really tried to make a John Hughes movie here. Yes. Yes, exactly. Um, is it? I think is this the one reason written I and directed oh, yeah. by? It's not directed by him. Okay. he's But it is written and produced. Yeah. Okay. And it's directed by someone he worked with okay. a bunch. Yeah. I think the reason that maybe... I had such a instinctive love of this movie as a younger person is because I understood what I was expected of me at the time mm-hmm. because it was a John Hughes movie in the era of like prime John Hughes. Right. And so yeah. I was like, oh, yes, this is another of those things that I already love. But this one has a clearly queer character mm-hmm. in it that is being made to love the boy. <sighs> I... we. I think we need we should get through the plot and do all of that, because I think on my end, this episode is all I want to talk about at this point is Watts. Yeah, well, that's the most important thing in this movie to pretty much everybody who's ever watched it, including straight people. We have there are two very important things in this movie. Watts is one of them. And there's Mm -hmm. another character that I am my favorite character. It just just uh, just in love with chef's kiss. Uh, Totally. This party is about to become a historical fact. <laughs> what does that mean? I don't know, but I love it. <laughs> I love it. Most of I, my... I, like, knew this guy in high school. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. I was good <laughs> friends with many of this guy in high school. Yeah, he is... This was my type of friend. He is maybe the most realistic character in this movie. Yes. This is what my girlfriend would yes. look like with no skin. Shout out to my male high school friends. That is none such... Of, none of whom are probably listening to this, but who are this guy? It is such a funny... That moment is so funny because he's being tender. He's not being... It's so tender. He's not trying to be gruesome. He thinks it's really no. cool. If his girlfriend had no skin, this is what she would look like. Oh my so, God, I love him. So this is my job now, right? Yes, you have to summarize the movie. <laughs> it is... You can do it. You're better at this than I am. Well, this... Well, it's not just... It's not just that. It's that... I think I've gotten lucky with the movies I've had to summarize so far because I bring you fucking Radio Flyer and Death Becomes Her. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And you bring me this perfect little <laughs> weird little gem. I mean, you could kind of leave it at it's a high school romance movie. I mean, that's kind of it. Wrong side of the tracks. It's a wrong side of the tracks. It's okay. Let's do it. Um, Keith is a sensitive, artsy kid from the wrong side of the tracks. He works um, a job at a gas station. He is getting ready to graduate, or he's close enough that his dad, who is a hardworking man, um, he is a kind but tired father, which we have. We love a blue-collar dad. Yeah, we really really do. I didn't realize that was something that we were adding to our our podcast vocabulary, but it is. We love a Mm blue-collar dad. It's so easy to spiral out, but that is one of the things I said to you. I was like, you and I are just like culturally programmed to to care 100%. about the the tired blue collar dad, yep. but who really wants his son 
to make something of himself and go away to college, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, oldest story in the uh, in the book. Um, Keith has a best friend. The um, uh, I'm trying to. I don't want to add too much commentary yet. His best <laughs> friend is Watts, who is a tomboy and a drummer and very cool. Um, and he is pining after the like probably the most popular girl in school amanda jones amanda jones she is dating a rich asshole hardy his name should have been blaine <laughs> yeah yeah we could kind of just do yeah. all the all the swaps um she is dating this guy hardy they break up and in a well-timed moment um Keith asks her out on a date. She says yes, mostly to make Hardy jealous. Mm-hmm. Though, of course, they slowly fall for each other, I think is what we're supposed Question to mark. think is happening. Um, yeah. Keith finds out that he's being set up to come to a party so Hardy can, quote, mess him up. Um, he and Amanda. No. God. This is harder than I thought it was going to be. I told um, you it's not easy. I, well, so so here's where I am struggling here a little bit. Normally I would cut out where I just stumbled. But I want to say I think maybe the movie isn't quite sure what it's doing here in this moment especially. This is where it gets mm. confused. And I, I yeah. would love to know about the edit process on this because I think what we're supposed to think is happening is Keith decides – Keith knows that he's being set up. He's right. a little confused about Amanda's involvement in that setup. But mm-hmm. Amanda no like Amanda is sort of dating him at this point, I think, to try to like get back at Hardy. And so right. Keith decides that he's gonna win her over anyway. And the way he does this is by taking every penny his father has encouraged him to save for <laughs> college. His mm-hmm. first, and I know it's 1987 and your first year of college is not nearly as costly as it is now, but no. it is not an insignificant amount of money. Probably a couple thousand dollars. And he takes it and spends it on a pair of earrings that his tomboy gr- girlfriend, that his tomboy uh-huh. best friend picks out for his current sort of girlfriend, even though they've only been sort of dating for two days, I think, at this point. And he spends <laughs> his entire first year college savings on a pair of earrings for her and sets up this really elaborate date. This is hard. I'm so sorry. I'm spending Who's way it? too much time on this. I think to win her over. Question mark. Because I. this is what I, I agree with you, that the movie thinks it's clear about what it's doing here but isn't actually Mm -hmm. right so let's just finish up the plot and then we'll get to that so they have this this date at an art museum his uh tomboy best friend (laughs) (laughs) that's where i am now oh there's watts um (laughs) and they they have this incredible date that he has used his friends to help set up um and they they do end up connecting in a way where i think Amanda at this moment decides that like yeah she's kind of into him they go to this party knowing that Hardy is going to quote mess him up Mm -hmm. Um, and then his dear friend Duncan who we've not yet talked about who um, started out as bully but they became friends in detention in detention Um, and uh, and and it's another movie okay and Duncan and his friends show up and you know like pretty much save the day Mm-hmm. They leave. Watts is heartbroken because it seems that Keith has gotten the girl. 
But the mm-hmm. girl realizes finally that she wants to stand on her own. She takes the earrings off, gives them to Keith. He admits to Watts or he realizes or something that he loves Watts. And mm-hmm. Watts has already said that she loves him. And he gives her those earrings because she's the one who picked them out. And it's not sunset, but they basically walk off into the sunset together. I did a yes. bad job. No, no, no. The movie did a bad job in that <laughs> in that middle third Jesus. There. Yes. Yes. Again, um, I had a great time. I do want to say, after all of that, I'm yeah. again, I'm very glad you picked this one. Should I save that for the end? <laughs> no, I do think that because we are going to be a little picky here about certain aspects of this movie, it should be stipulated that this is a great fucking movie in a lot of ways in that it is a very John Hughes. Like, it hits all the notes. It also ends apparently in the way that John Hughes wanted Pretty in Pink to end, which I'm sure we'll talk about. I clocked that pretty well. I didn't clock how it was going to end, but I clocked that parallel pretty immediately. And it's it's funny because one of the things about being somebody who watches a lot of movies is you do have a like understanding of what to expect from a movie like this. But yeah. because it is a little confusing, I think I said to you, I was like, am I supposed to be rooting for Watts or is this right. a ducky situation? Right. Right. And, and I think that at the time in the mind of John Hughes and probably in the mind of the viewer who saw this at the time, you are supposed to be rooting for Watts. You're supposed to be rooting for them to end up together. And I think looking at this as a full grown adult without teenage brain, like that's not as clear like well and not for i mean watts is clearly from the beginning of the movie in at least in teenage love with yes keith but there's no indication and not just because he's a boy he's teenage boy and doesn't realize and blah 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 like i don't there's really no indication that keith has any interest in in watts right like no And that is what I noticed this viewing. Mm -hmm. As a teenager watching this, I found, and this is is teenage brain, I found ways, things that he did and said and looked and all of that, (laughs) that indicated to my teenage brain that he did have feelings for her. Um, as an adult, I don't see it. No. Or, but re- I did or see for it Amanda, really. Like, he's obsessed yeah. with... And she's right. I mean, she calls him on it. And it's one of yeah. the most, like... I'm like, oh, this is a moment in this movie where the movie understands what it's doing. And yeah. it's sort of like... It's a very incisive moment yeah. for a very fluffy movie in other ways. Weirdly, Amanda is kind of the most... Not just self-aware in this movie, but also just, like, situationally, like, aware yeah. of what's going on. Yeah, we're talking about the part at the end where she says, like, you don't, what do you know about me? Like, right. You know, what's hanging I'm in the... the museum? Is it my soul? It's my face. Like, yes. This movie yes. is full of so lines. many of those lines, like really lines. written lines. Yeah. Yes. yes. Watts exactly. speaks only in yes. those lines. Watts exactly. is. I do not, in every way, I do not know what to make of that character. I know. And it's so funny because I think at the time she meant a lot to me because she was a tomboy. Right. And because she was a drummer and because she was strong and she didn't give a fuck, mm-hmm. which obviously isn't true. She gave a lot of fucks. Mm-hmm. But um, all of the iconography kind of that she was given yeah. 
all of that meant a whole lot totally. to me. Totally. Oh, I so get it. Yeah, of course. But then, but then also, like you're right in that it was like she's a, almost a weirdly like the only reason she's not a flat character is because the performance is really good. <laughs> but we are given the indication that she doesn't have parents, or her parents aren't there, or her parents are absent or abusive mm-hmm. or something. We like she, she clearly and she like lives with brothers. We're given this like very fleeting impression of her home life as quote unquote bad. And it's why she and Keith have become so close mm-hmm. because he's sort of like been there for her, right. I guess. But we don't know anything about Watts. No. Like all we know is that all she cares about is Keith and her drums and her drums. Yeah. Wait, wait. What's the line? The only things I care about in this world are me, my drums and you. Yeah. Me. And honestly, that's her whole fucking character. Yeah. And like, I, I just think that like the reason that people like me loved her so much is because we inferred a bunch of stuff that wasn't actually in the text. We like added to it in our own minds. It's at least now in 2023, it is kind of impossible not to. And it was then, I think like, you know, I, (laughs) it's so funny. Like the visual of her, the way she looked, the way she like dressed her haircut, all that stuff. Every gloves and like, and she's always carrying her drumsticks, no matter where she is. She might need to drum on something, Andrea. She there might be a drumming emergency. It's this movie is really unfair because you don't want her to be caught without her drumsticks in a drumming (laughs) emergency, Andrea. It's just unfair because her character is kind of stupid. Like it is. It's not great. I loved her. I loved her too. (laughs) But that's unfair of the movie the movie is keying into something about me do you know what i mean that's the issue god that that scene with that random kid with the like long buzz cut and the one earring is that his name i think so i i love that scene actually so funny it's just because of the way that it's written is the lines are like lines yeah I think he's. But it's so isn't great. that he says like you could be a girl if you wanted to, you could be a girl just like that. Yeah, I know the gender stuff in this is complicated. Well, she which we can talk about again in a way that almost feels progressive, but is actually the exact yeah. opposite. Like this movie I is actually, almost saying some things. Yeah, and I had a I had a friend like this in high school. Mm-hmm. Like, just sit here and act like you like me. That will be absolutely no problem. <laughs> like, just the like puppy dog uh-huh. like oh I, I love this character even as fucked up and weird as he is because he's just like he's just here for it yeah. he just likes her yep <laughs> did you know a girl can be whatever she wants to be i know my, my mom's, mom's a plumber, plumber. <laughs> so funny that is genuinely funny the it two of them together funny. were like really one of my favorite moments in i know this movie. i wanted to see more of them together. yeah yeah my mom's like a she should have ended up with well she should have ended up with amanda but <laughs> Other than that, maybe she should have ended up with him. Some real some real tension between the two of them that could have been resolved for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. funny, though. Also, yeah. I'm just skipping, but when Keith and Watts do kiss, because she, again, such a, such She's a silly trope. Yeah. Um, She's helping. She says, pretend I'm a girl. Yeah. Which, yeah. R- up against Death Becomes Her, that I'm a girl line, like, this stuff is... yeah. I know. I feel like I almost feel like I am 
academically unequipped to talk about this because I feel like there's a bunch of like references I want to make, but I also think that we should just talk about that, the gender part of this, because watching this in 2023 is super interesting. Um, I think it's also the part of this movie that I was the most interested to revisit, like the way that Watts is represented. It So because this is the era of the queer coded female character mm-hmm. that is desperately in love with a man who like it also doesn't see her as a girl right until he does right well and it's not until she's wearing those earrings that they do you know what I mean? like it's such a yeah. silly and it's like deep down she wants like yeah Exactly. It's very exactly. It's like the the tomboy is is the way she is because something is wrong with her or mm-hmm. something has happened to her, and she really just wants to be like the long haired cheerleader type or like the Leah Thompson type in this movie, um, but somehow can't. Right. 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 It's not a celebration of being that way, and that's sort of the betrayal of the whole part of it to me. Is like. Like, I keep thinking, I know you didn't watch Facts of Life, but Joe Palnachek in Facts of Life was really important to me. Um, in my, like, internalized homophobia, I hated Joe mm-hmm. until I realized later on why I didn't, why I hated <laughs> Joe, which was, like, she was a mechanic type, but she also, like, wanted to, like, have the the hot man fall in love with her mm-hmm. and, like, was insecure about herself and all this stuff. And it's, like... That's sort of the the part about this trope that I really hate is this type of person that becomes so important to the queer people watching this movie has so much like internalized hatred right. because of who they like who they are and how they're representing themselves. It's right. like And that's a problem whether or not because I also don't wanna it is so it is almost impossible to read Watts as anything other than queer like Definitely like queer sexually. And then also there's like, again, almost impossible to not read some genderqueer stuff going on here to some degree. But even if you can separate all of that out, which good luck, but let's pretend we can. She's still a character who is really struggling with who she is because of her relationship with this man who is her best friend. Yeah. And that is annoying that she can't just be whether she's straight, cis, whatever, that she can't. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Just be okay with with that. Yeah. I mean, like the whole locker room scene, which has other over to or, I mean, and I'll, again, it's the context of the 80s. Right. But like the idea that she's wearing boxer shorts is like a big thing. And it's like. Nowadays, we look at that and it's so you can't look at it with the same lens right. as, it, as it was viewed in the 80s. Well, and the interest the, there are a lot of interesting things about that scene. But the thing that I found most troublesome about it was that whole scene happens and you see the way they shoot. This is not the thing that I see troublesome, but they shoot the, her like um, the way that scene is focalized through Watts as she's mm-hmm. looking at. Amanda. Amanda, yeah. Feels very sexualized and longing mm-hmm. up yeah. to the point where Watts in her boxer shorts starts like like holding onto her own stomach and like she, like 
like shifting how she's standing and stuff. Yep. So you realize that it's envy. And it's yeah. so frustrating that Watts can't like yeah. even if she wants to be in love with Keith, which is stupid, whatever. But she, <laughs> why, like, why can't she be in love with Keith and also be Watts? Like, why does she have to be yeah. internally trying to like compare her? And I again, it's because Keith is in in love, quote unquote, whatever, with Amanda. Right. But it's like it's so frustrating that. But it's they like have to draw was... that parallel or whatever. And that was, but that parallel was everything in every movie my entire childhood oh, yeah yeah you know course. it was like you want to be something you're not you want to be this perfect version mm-hmm. of the idealized body person personality popularity level all of that and like it's so baked in that I would never have of like it made complete sense to me right. when I watched it as a kid that of course she wishes she was different it's really funny though that that if you if we are taking this movie at face value where Watts is, you know, a straight cis woman, she's just a tomboy, mm-hmm. she could very easily be Amanda. She's a th- she is also a thin, beautiful white woman. The yep. only difference between them is her drumsticks and her haircut. Yes. So like and her boxer shorts. So it is weird. It is just this is what I mean about like I don't really under like you know the problem is the 80s and like the lack of subtlety with a movie like this um is why but it just it's so strange to me that it's like it's not strange to me it's very obvious (laughs) to me what i'm about to say but like that she's so like like her character is so like um like fraught or whatever but it's all the stuff that she has put on herself that makes her that way which is why then i'm sorry i'm talking so much in this episode but no 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 please but it's why it's so hard to read her as not having some sort of queerness because that that part isn't a choice like if watts were a queer character if watts were wrestling with her gender then all of that other stuff is like well, yeah, of course, because she's yeah. internally struggling. But but in 1980, whatever not. this was, just a they would never have done that. Beautiful straight white woman with short hair and yeah. boxers, which was as close as it was anything was willing to come at that time. Right, right. To having this conversation, you know, nothing, nothing was gonna, no movie was gonna do that right. at the time. At least, no, you know, successful mainstream right exactly movie. Um. So I just want to, since we're on this conversation about the gender thing, I want to, since I did a a little bit of research after this, after watching it, because I hadn't seen it in so long, mm-hmm. um, I want to talk to you about the original version of this script. Ooh. Mm-hmm. I, I genuinely can't wait to hear this. So this was originally conceived as a sex comedy. A la Porky's? Um, I don't know if I would go that far. It was still a um, John Hughes type movie. But here, let me just read this to you. This is from a Mental Floss article. We can link to it. Um, There was the first draft that was sort of like a broader sex comedy. Mary Stuart Masterson told Entertainment Weekly explaining that my character was named Keith and she wanted to be male. Yeah, you think they would have done that well back then? I don't think so. God. John Cryer, who auditioned for the movie, remembered a subversive scene where Keith's, then named Garth, 
whatever mm-hmm. watch gets stuck in his gym shorts in front of amanda and he's scratching his crotch and the girl walks by he tries to pull his hand out of shorts his watch gets stuck on the seam of his shorts basically it was like a comedic like goof right sex comedy um there's more about the original version of watts being more male coded or wanting to be more male um I didn't I didn't do much more deep diving than that, which I should have, but I was kind of like, oh, I'm so glad this didn't happen. Yeah, there's no way they would have handled no, that. No, it would have been a... awful. It would have been awful. Here we go. Oh, wait, I have a little bit more. Um, Watts was originally named Drummer Girl and didn't have a formal name, but her nickname was Keith, named after the Who drummer Keith Moon. Um, Mm. Masterson thought it was weird that her character had a man's name. So she talked to John Hughes and Deutsch, the director about changing it. Um, so what I learned by reading this was that I think Mary Stuart Masterson had a positive effect on her character because she said, (laughs) I gave all these notes, like this character is written as a tomboy, but I don't think a tomboy is necessarily a woman that wants to be a man. Right. She said, um, it's somebody who's not willing to be a slave to the feminine manipulative paradigm that's probably a little deeper than this movie was thinking. Um, why does she want a guy's name? So they changed her name to Watts, as in the Rolling Stones drummer Charlie Watts. Eric Stones be- Stoltz became Keith, and Amanda was named after named Amanda Jones after the Stones song Miss Amanda Jones. Um, it's so God. Yeah. I'm I. So this could have been a much worse depiction well, of gender because they're so right and you and i have talked a little bit about the idea of the tomboy and we are eventually gonna it's just gonna happen where we're gonna have to really dive into it because yeah. like she's right like not every tomboy is actually yeah. a trans person <laughs> right like exactly and also some people like some people who like are read as tomboys though probably are you know yeah. what i mean like yeah and and that's a way of like beginning to think about their own gender performance and gender right. expression and all of that yeah this like, movie I, is not I felt like i was a no it's not ready like, to deal with that yeah uh-uh. but no, there I'm are really... there are lines that you can feel are still from that like toward the end when she it's like sort of out of nowhere she says something about like my grandma always said i would grow up and have big boobs i think is the line and keith like says what happened what happened and it's i actually wasn't bothered by that i was kind of like oh it's kind of nice that they can like joke so like because she's not offended in fact she says i got lucky which does not match the character who is like staring at her own body compared to Amanda Jones in the locker but room. But I think scene. she's trying to be sarcastic about um, the lucky part. I don't know. I, that's what I mean yeah. though with this movie. It's so hard to Yeah, you could take it a couple of different ways. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I think you're right that in the context of the movie that we got, she's being sarcastic. But the line read yeah. is very straightforward. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I that's the thing. I do think Mary Stuart Masterson had um had some feelings maybe about the way that her character was originally written and tried to push it a little bit. In I also ways. now I'm just being paranoid. I hope our listeners know that I don't think that the only women who are quote unquote like real women have big boobs. I'm pretty sure that they know that that's not how you feel, but um caveat given. That is what Meryl Streep thinks in Death Becomes Her, though. Sure. <laughs> yes. Well, that is what society <laughs> seems to think. 
<laughs> no, but like, you know, I considered myself a tomboy growing mm-hmm. up. And I also consider myself fully a cis right, person. Right. You know, like it is, there's, it's not one or the other. It's not, you know, but I think that the time that this movie came out and it's, there was, no one was having this type of conversation, mm-hmm. not no one, but like mainstream movies were certainly not having this conversation. Right. I also think it's interesting that Eric Stoltz gender wise is a little, he's, I mean, maybe it's the eighties. Because I remember thinking that he was, like, relatively attractive in this movie. Not like, oh, my God. But, right. like, he's a sensitive boy. Yeah. He's a little bit of, like, a bi-wife type. Yeah. Like, I could kind of see. That's, I think that's why my brain goes to why don't they just all end up together? Mm-hmm. Because, like, I think he'd be cool with that, honestly. Yeah. Even, they're, like, they're, again, just certain. Huh. He does still have a lot of toxic shit going on. Like, he's basically kind of stalking Amanda Jones at times. Yeah. Um, but when they but. play him, it's funny because it is a fault of the time and all of that. So his, like, foil, I guess, in this movie is Hardy. Right? Yeah. Because they are both sort of treating Amanda as a status object, as, you know, mm-hmm. like, they're kind of, like, f- using her as the thing. Like... It's all about the two of them, right? Like, yeah. they're just fighting through Amanda mm-hmm. and, and like, uh, yes, that way. What makes, but I kept thinking, like, I don't know, they kind of look alike. Yeah. Like, you could flip them. Yeah. Each one could play the other character really easily. And the way that they differentiate them is instead of combing his hair back, <laughs> Keith's hair falls like, feathered and face. light in his yeah. face and yeah. it does make him seem also keith has has grease on his hands He's i was greasy. just gonna say it does make him seem much softer the thing that really differentiates him is which they make they they mention a lot and show a lot are his greasy hands mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when <Yeah>. he <laughs> when he kisses when he and um watts are kissing that first time and they yeah. show the close-up on his hands he kind of like mm-hmm. grabs at her waist I because just the way that was shot and his hands being so covered in grease, I thought he was transforming for half a second. Like I thought I was like, Keith's a werewolf. Just for like <laughs> so quick before my like actual brain got to think about it. Do you know oh what I mean? God. But I was like, is this a Teen Wolf movie? Because that rolls. Oh my god! But it's not. He just no. you know he's just hard working, so his hands are dirty. Yeah, which I I do. I think Eric Stoltz is an interesting choice here. Like, I'm trying to remember, like, he had done Mask, that movie with Cher Mm -hmm. at the time. He's kind of the, like, sensitive heartthrob in this movie. And I kind of, I get it, but I don't get it. I think maybe it's just because I remember the time being like, "Eh." I don't think he gives a sensitive heartthrob. He just doesn't feel... Like, um, I'm not really sure how to explain the vibe I get from him or I, yeah. I'm not, no, that's not even it. I'm not sure what I, who I think would have been, would have made more sense in this role, but Ooh, he, can I tell you who was one of the people that was originally, yes. um, considered, I want to make sure that I'm not wrong about this, but I know I read this, um, I read that Kyle McLaughlin from oh. 
was originally one of the people considered for this role from Twin Peaks. Oh, huh, yeah. Interesting. Weird. I know. Um, hum. Yeah, I'm trying to find I'm trying to find where I found that original list of people. Um, there was a lot of sort of shuffling around of this movie based on like it had that original version that was more of like a sex comedy and then it had one director and then it had another director and then they kind of meanly not meanly but like kind of unceremoniously ditched that director to go back to the original director there was a lot of like I think you you can really feel all of that in this movie yeah I think that all of that is why I was confused several times throughout yeah that makes sense also, um, so Leah Thompson is married now to the director of this movie. They met on the set. Oh. And he was, like, kind of falling in love with her as they filmed. Interesting. Um, apparently, they didn't date while this movie was happening. She was engaged to Dennis Quaid at the time. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they're still married. Very Aww. sweet story. Apparently, that painting of her in the museum, <laughs> he was so, like infatuated with her he had like 10 paintings made they were like never right and so he kept having another one made and they have like two of them in their house now so he that's a little creepy but um hmm. maybe it's the yellow jacket moment <laughs> i know <laughs> maybe it's the yellow jackets in me but i struggle with a man who wants to make many to paint paintings the same woman yeah <laughs> i know i know i agree it's a little off but uh yeah, so they met on the set of this movie and uh, are still married and have two kids. That's that is kind of nice. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the. So we we talked about the gender stuff a little bit, but um, we kind of also intimated that this is sort of a gender flipped version of Pretty in Pink. Mm-hmm. Should we get into that? Yeah. The ducky of it all. Yeah, I will say Pretty in Pink and Sixteen Candles are two movies I have not seen. In a very long time. They're on my list of like John Hughes movies. I think mm-hmm. they're they're just on the lower end for me, like not in a quality way. I know that people love them, but so wait, what are on the upper end of your John Hughes movies? Th- I th- I think there are two kinds of people in this world. And it's either is it are you a high school romance rom-com or are you a uncle buck planes trains and automobiles kind there of person we go. that's what i was getting and at. if you yeah. had to guess if i were gonna be <laughs> the high school romance or the john candy of it all yeah yeah well that's the dynamic that makes this podcast work andrea because i am the high school romance one. <laughs> molly ringwald and john candy host a podcast I would love that. R.I.P., but I would love that. Oh, That's a podcast man. I would listen to. I was just going to say Molly Ringwald's not dead. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, basically, God, can, as the story goes. At some point, I do need yeah. to. We did this a little bit, but at yeah. some point in this episode, we can save it for the end. I don't know why I'm saying this now. We're mm-hmm. going to have to run through the movies he. Um, John Hughes. Yeah. The ones yeah. he wrote. I mean, he's he wrote and directed only a few of the movies that he wrote and produced there are many yeah we'll save that though let's 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 keep talking about some kind of wonderful (laughs) so yeah the the sort of myth of this movie which i think there's some truth to it but maybe isn't as simplistic as it sounds is that john hughes original ending of pretty in pink had ducky 
sort of as the quote unquote uh, victor, so to speak. And he had to change the um, ending because after test audiences weren't happy with it, uh, with Ducky kind of getting the girl. And so this was his, I'm doing this my way, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, so he basically created a gender flipped pretty in pink where the sort of pining best friend wins out in the end. It is. <sighs> and that's, that is a simplistic version of this. It's not the only reason he wrote this movie, right. obviously. Like there's other things going on in it. It's not just like note for note, the same as pretty in pink, right. but flipped. But you can't say that. This doesn't feel like it's in direct conversation oh, with what yeah. happened there. They're, they came out like two, like one year apart. Right. It was like one and then the other, Pretty in Pink and then this, like like almost exactly a year later. That's so crazy. Well, and it, and it's funny because Ducky, from my recollection and in my heart, from what I remember, it is more earned. Like it's clear mm. that Ducky and and I again. May, I probably yeah, should have. I haven't watched Pretty in Pink in like a decade. Yeah. And so least. it's possible that because I did see that movie as a young person and not this one, that if I watched mm -hmm. it now, I would have the same feelings I do about Watts. Who knows? But yeah. my feeling is that Ducky feels more earned and that it makes more sense that she should have ended up with him. I think that this movie is just a bit thin. Like 90 minutes is usually my perfect amount of time <laughs> for a movie. But I do think that another 10 to 20 minutes of sort of building up the relationship between Watts and Keith would have been very useful well, Watts... because we're just expected to buy into the fact that they're like destined to be together. They like know and love everything about each other. They have this like tumultuous, but it's not given to us. No. It's just assumed. I mean, from Watts side, it sort of is, but it feels weirdly intense. Like it yeah. feels like what they did was just made Watts way more intense than she should have been and didn't mm -hmm. give Keith anything to do Any and so it makes watts seem when when they're at the club and yeah he's waiting for a man very quickly she is so upset so fast yes it is really it feels really strange she's like crying yeah and like it happens so fast yeah that's that's the thing there's not enough sort of like build up to get to that point mm -hmm. Like, I think I re actually wrote that escalated quickly when I got to that scene. Um, yeah, it it needed more um, development before and, that. And her dialogue in that scene is weird or her her dialogue, their dialogue. Mm. It's her like language in that scene is really strange because she says something like, I'm driving you crazy and you're driving me crazy. He's, she's not driving him crazy. No, he's, he's like he's kind of annoyed with her, but he's like. But it's yeah. not. She seems to think that they are both wrestling with something, and he does and not know. <laughs> no, he doesn't. He doesn't. Um, yeah, she's basically saying like she's going to hurt you. She's not interested in you. Like, why are you in love with her? Kind of thing. But it does. It goes from like sort of playful to really tortured really really mm -hmm. fast um <laughs> the lines better to swallow pride than blood oh my god it's like she's it's trying to be shakespeare she is so over the top and again in a way that i do kind of like 
Yeah. Like, I, for all my complaining about her intensity, also what I like about her is how weirdly intense she is for no, no reason. reason. I, I think know. we're supposed to think she's this way because of her tumultuous upbringing, right? <laughs> like, Sure. I guess. Yeah. Like, like, uh, I I picture her going home to a house like Pony Boy in The Outsiders. So, you know (laughs) what I mean? So she's a little more sensitive. She digs sunsets and stuff. Like, right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. When he says you can't judge a book by its cover, she says, yeah, but you can tell how much it's going to (laughs) cost. This is John Hughes writing teens as adults 100. Like, this is Dawson's, I mean, everybody in this, this stuff is, adult. yeah, this stuff, this is the kind of shit that Kevin Williamson got for Dawson's Creek. Um, mm. This is how all of, like, a, a lot of the characters in Dawson's Creek talk, but we, but, but in my head, it's a response to this kind of thing where he's like, I'm just gonna, I know that it's, that it's overall, and these kids are way too, like, eloquent for their age and understanding but i think john hughes i don't know that that's exactly what's going on here i think he thinks it's really cool i think he thinks watts is really cool i thought watts was really cool i mean (laughs) i kind of think watts is really cool well it's being written for the sorry my ukulele just fell over (laughs) (laughs) i don't know how to play it i just have it my mom gave it to me. Shut up. Um, okay. Anyway. Oh, oops. Oh, oops. <laughs> I just kicked it. Um, I don't remember what I was saying. So it's being written by somebody who writes teenagers this way, but it's also being written for people who, like, know this type of movie now and are expecting it and expecting this type of thing. And also, like... This movie came out in what, 87? 87. 87. So I watched it. I don't think I saw it in the theaters, but I, because I don't know that I was going to romantic comedies when I was 12. (laughs) But I definitely saw it in my preteen years. Right, right. Which means that I was like all in for the sort of angsty, poetic language. Mm Mm-hmm. I was all about it. Yeah. You know, and that's the audience that attached themselves to these types of movies. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So the language was very quotable. Yeah. Yeah. This movie also feels like it was written for the trailer. You know, like they were like, <laughs> these lines are going to sound really cool with a cool 80s, like, synthy yeah. song underneath it, cut together. Oh, my God. So many of the lines that are the best, though, are Duncan's. Duncan was everything to me. His first scene is upsetting. Because he's homophobic. He's, but but <laughs> he's homophobic in that way that it was, like, the 80s just kind of let be. Like, yeah. yeah. He's he is uh other than that, he is truly delightful. Yeah. I love the idea. So delightful. I love that he starts out as a bully, but the second they're in detention together, then they're they like bond over art. Because oh, that's what his girlfriend would look like without any skin. But even before that, he's carving art into this uh-huh. into the desk with a knife. And there he like rips the desk to show top off to show it to him. Because he's proud of himself. He's so sweet. 
He's I know. so lovely. He's also um, Casey Jones from the uh, Ninja Turtles, which is what I know him from. And and he's Alinsky from all the Chicago like uh, Med Fire PD blah 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 like that big. I didn't watch any of those. I watched bits. some of it. I looked it's... at his yeah IMDb, and blah. he's he's one of those guys who just kind of like has been on every procedural. Yep. He stays yep. working. Elias Cotius. Um, or well, because he looks is. like a cop or a criminal, depending on how you dress him. Yeah, exactly. A hundred percent. Or he looks like Casey Jones, who we, we're not going to watch. I'm assuming you've seen the Ninja Turtles movies. And even if you haven't, have you not? Is that face? Andrea. Of course I have. Or no, I haven't. I'm 10 years older than you. That doesn't mean. And I am the Molly Ringwald. I'm not the John Candy. <laughs> Wait, I still don't know what that means. Have you or have no, you seen them? No, I have not seen. I have not seen. It was wrong generation. Wrong generation. Oh my god. This is I know. shocking. Is it? I just thought that those but I was really I young. I was into Gem and the Holograms. But me too. I just was but I was really young. I think the first Ninja Turtles movie is before this. I think. I mean, all of my little male friends were into the Ninja Turtles. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Wow, I had a plan for what we were watching next week, but No, we are not turning this into a Ninja Turtles podcast. Well, we'll see. It's I get to pick. I have to Oh god, no. Ninja Turtles is not as Well, hold on. No. I'm not gonna make us watch it this next week. I will tell 1990. you. So how nineteen ninety. I was fourteen. I was in high school. That's the perfect age for a Ninja Turtles movie, I think. No, not it's not. for me. No, no, no you're right. You're right. Okay. You were, I was, you I were was too gone. old. I was too old for it. Jody, I highly recommend, even if we don't cover it, that you watch at least the first one. It is crazy. It is it is so bizarre. However, I will say, major crush on Casey Jones over here. Got it. Got it. Understandable after like when watching this movie as an adult and putting myself back in high school, like I was hanging out with them. Right, right. I was not Watts. I was not Leah Thompson. I was friends. With you Duncan. were Duncan. <laughs> I was not Duncan. I was friends. You were with hanging Duncan. out with Duncan. You I'm were definitely... coming to the party at the end with Duncan. Yeah, probably. Um, I was probably staying out in the car smoking cigarettes. I just love. I love him. I love he's got Casey Jones vibes too, where like he's like like so weirdly kind of a himbo in a weird way. He's yeah, got like oh, a totally. punk himbo. Um, Absolutely. Yes. His dad works at an art museum. Those were filmed at LACMA <laughs> in was, LA. I know we don't we don't do anything with the video for this podcast. You looked so excited just now. <laughs> I lived in LA briefly and I really liked LACMA. <laughs> this is I also one of the, because I jokingly, when I was introduced to Duncan before I was paying attention to the setting of this movie and knew it was a John Hughes movie. So I just assumed we were in the fictional town of Chicago. Sh- well, Shermer, Illinois. Yeah, exactly. Outside of Chicago. Um, which is a fictional town. But I said to you, I said, why is Duncan from Newark and everyone else is from Shermer, Illinois? I, yeah. He just is. He's also 26 in this movie. <laughs> and looks it. He's bald. So was Eric Stoltz, Like, his actually. head is shaved. I know. Beca- not because he's a skinhead, though that's how he's credited in the movie, but because yeah. that is a balding middle-aged man almost. Yep. I love yep. him. I want to be very clear. I love him. 
I love him so much. He's perfect. He has the best lines in the movie. Yeah. Apparently, he had less of a role in the movie originally, and everyone loved him so much that they just kept writing scenes for him. Oh, I love when stuff like that happens. I know. That's, he, he, that's the van of it all. Yeah. He was like a little incidental character that was like a foil for everything. And then they liked him so much that they kept including him. That's fantastic he's just he's just incredible you said and i talked over you uh to talk about the setting but the fact that his dad works in an art museum and he's got a good enough relationship with him that his dad is letting him and his friends come hang out yeah he's got a good dad he's just he's just a lunk he's really everything in this movie because the two pivotal moments are keith finally wins amanda over and he does that through this really incredible date that Duncan is responsible, that Duncan and Watts are responsible for. Yeah. And Duncan's very uh, silent friends. <laughs> Who are he just has a so silent old. coterie of friends. Oh, my God. The one like dude when he. 40s. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I know. This party is about. Well, to I can't believe you haven't seen. Historical fact. Does he mean like because I'm going to kill everybody and so it's going to go down in. I don't know that the kill everybody was part of it because he does say right after that, I'm just going to make him cry just a little bit just by looking at him. Favorite line. I know I said my favorite line was the thing about his girlfriend with no skin, but that line is so funny and so self-aware. Like he knows he's the scary punk, but actually he's a sweetheart. Yeah. Yeah. I know. There was also a little bit of uh, mixed up files of Mrs. Basilie, just the museum vibes at night. All a dream. I... I was going to say, why is it a dream for me? It's a chicken or the egg situation. It's is did is that book so important to me because that's a dream I yeah. have, or is that a dream I have because that because, because of, that, of book. that book? I know, I know. No, I know. Get, at Museum after dark, I'm in a hundred percent. I will say this movie did kind of make me hate artists, though, <laughs> because of Keith. Yes, he says I like art. I work in a gas station. My best friend is a tomboy. I'm like. Okay. Three strikes against him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he has... No, the fact that he he comes fucking painting in the museum. Isn't that illegal? Isn't that illegal? The ego involved. Come on. Your painting is not that good. Yeah. Let's let's start there. Um, He has a coming out scene to his dad. Like, he says, like, didn't you go to school with the kids who, like... I forget what the line is, but it feels like he's going to come out to his dad and he does but he comes out as the weird kid <laughs> comes I'm out as a weird an, kid dad. as an artist <laughs> that's uh, what it this is this sort of a it's almost doing a lot i know i know and it's like kind of arguing for the artist but also saying that they're so dumb that they're going to put away sell not sell uh empty their college fund to buy earrings like I can't believe his dad didn't murder him. He should. This is a movie where <laughs> I the dad was too nice. I know. I know. A yeah. year. His whole first, like, and yeah. it's for a bad. That's the other thing. It's not for a good reason. There's no. a version of this movie where he does spend that money on something like. I don't know. I don't know what. Applying, like, so there's, like, some art, like, school that he really <laughs> sure. wants to go to. Yeah. And that's where the money goes. And his dad's yeah. like, no, you're going to go to be a lawyer or whatever. Or yeah. you're, no, like. No, the rebellion had been, like, applying to, you know, an art RISD. program. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> then fine. Yeah. 
No, there's actually I read a like a revisiting of this movie by the cast Mm -hmm. article kind of that came out um, Entertainment Weekly in like 2019. And they interviewed like the main uh, actors Um, and Leah Thompson talking about that specifically said, I thought it was a bizarre plot point, to be honest, a very strange thing that he would cash in his college money to buy these stupid diamond earrings. And we're (laughs) supposed to think that it's subconsciously he and Watts are doing this because they love each other. And which he picks out mm. the earrings that Watts likes for right. because they're really for Watts because Watts because because then they try to make it so playful at the end where he's like, you knew these were for you. And she's like, well, I hoped. No, she didn't. I know she was she was maybe doing some like wish fulfillment. We're seeing him spend the money on the earrings she wants. She but she did not think there was a chance that Keith had feelings for her. That was not. I know. I know. That's what I mean about there needing to be another 10, 20 minutes of buildup. Also, you are. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't buy it. No. Also, you are asking for infection. Do not put earrings that have been in someone else's ears in yours. What are we? I was going to say that. Oh, my God. Get the alcohol out. Jesus. You've got to wipe them with alcohol before you do that. It's 1987, not fucking 1887. I think even (laughs) then they knew better. I was going to say that in the very beginning, and I, I didn't. Um, yeah. so gross disgusting so gross I know I know oh I found the quote about the paintings Leah Thompson in that same article said Howie had a really big crush on me and I was engaged to Dennis Quaid at the time <laughs> that's a great the sentence painting I know the painting was such a big reveal and Howie just couldn't get anybody to paint the painting right so he had 12 paintings painted of me they're still lurking somewhere they're still in the Paramount warehouse somewhere creepy Horrifying. I mean they're happily married with two kids but yeah I do like the idea of the painting because the painting's fine. He's a high school, like he's not fucking. For a high school student. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty fucking good. But I do love the idea of that reveal being a pretty bad painting. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, yeah. That's very funny to think about. Yeah. Yeah. Eric Stoltz also was the one who said that they all wanted to have more of Elias Cotias, the guy that plays uh, Duncan. Duncan in the film because he was beloved. In the original script, he only had a few lines. We discovered how unique and talented he was, uh, how he Deutsch kept expanding his role. He's so charming. I know. I know. Um, the whole thing was filmed in L.A. This was like the sort of la- this was also the last of John Hughes's teen movies before he started making the movies that uh are on your <laughs> side of the um of the chart so right after yeah. this he kind of ma- started making more of the movies that you're talking about like planes trains and automobiles speaking of the the wear of this the fact that it's filmed in la like it feels very la there's a mall some there is a mall i did write that down <laughs> But it does still keep that right side of the tracks, wrong side of the tracks yeah. thing. <laughs> Quite literally. Literal tracks in the first, like, you know, two seconds of the movie. He's walking down the tracks. Mm-hmm. Um, they said that they chose the town. It's in San Pedro, I think, because of the sort of look of, like, the oil refineries in the background and all of that. Like, it had that sort of, like, gritty look, but then also um, the sort of... Very L.A. looking high school that they yeah. attended. Just as a side note, as a history nerd, there was a big WPA sign on that high school, which I thought was really cool. Works Progress yeah. Administration helped build that building. Huh, interesting. Shout out to public funds for <laughs> the public good. I think. Oh, we didn't talk about quickly. We should talk about 
the Jersey connections that we found. Because we did, of course, find them. Of course we did. And we have not tied it to Jersey yet. So no. mine was very... Yours is so funny because yours is so funny because it's desperate. (laughs) It's pretty desperate. Like I was like, how did you even get here? Do you want to tell yours first? Because mine mine is mine is less weird. Like mine is a some. Actually, I'm not still pretty desperate. I'm not sure which one of them is more tangential. I think mine is sort of more tangential. I mean, the obvious one is just that there's a mall in it, but that could be like a number of movies for me. So I was trying to find out who the actor was that played the gym teacher (laughs) because I'd seen her face in a bunch of other stuff. And I was like, oh, wait, I recognize this person. Like, where do I know her from? And so I looked up her IMDb, whatever, Wikipedia. Um, Her name is Lee Garlington. Um, I did not write down anything else that she was in. I just wrote down born in (laughs) T-neck. That became the important thing. Yes, it was, was born in Teaneck. So funny to get a text from you that said the gym teacher <laughs> was born in Teaneck. The the like yeah. again the desperation of I know we can do this. We can do this. There's a Jersey connection. There's and also it's not somebody even just Jersey. It's North Jersey. <laughs> Very happy for you. Thank you. There's Thank you. also somebody straight up dressed like Bruce Springsteen though in the um in the club when they're all dancing. Um, yeah, that club scene, the fashion in it was ah, oh, it was great actually. Yeah. It was great. And it reminded me a lot of um, Girls Just Want to Have Fun. Totally. I thought the same thing. Yeah. That club yeah. is where they could have just handed out all the flyers at that one club and everybody yeah, would have shown like up. that's where they went after the uh, debutante ball. They all went to that club Exactly. To hang out. Exactly. Yeah. So my reference is less, sort of less directly related to the movie. Um, so... My my Jersey reference is the Bouncing Soul song. Um, these are the quotes from our favorite 80s movies, <laughs> which is literally just them quoting their favorite 80s movies and then singing, these are the quotes from my favorite 80s movies. And one of them is, um, of course, all I care about is me, my drums, and you. Mm-hmm. Um, and though... It did remind me. So the 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 movies it quotes are Valley Girl, which I've never seen. I don't think I have either. Oh, okay. Well, it's off the list then. Um, <laughs> Breakfast Club, Better Off Dead. I want my two dollars is in here. <sighs> uh, some kind of wonderful Rambo and Say Anything. But mm-hmm. um, there's a mess with the bull. You get the horns is a line from um, Principal Vernon in Breakfast Club, but doesn't. But um, Watts says it in that weird scene where she's gambling with that. Yes. Which is such a yes. weird, like. Yeah, Inception. Yeah, he liked that line so much he used it again. Or maybe she, I, like, it's. Is such, quoting his own movie. Yeah, it's a weird thing. Also, one of the guys says, do I look Italian? Look at my face, which is a weird kind of, like, anti-Italian. Yeah. Which, again, I'm not Italian, but I still took um, offense to that as someone from New Jersey. It's worth. Yeah, I love that she just randomly, like, knows how to run a dice game. Like, it just... Of course Watts does. Oh, my God. So many, like, sort of aspects of her personality that are never explained. Nope. Um, yeah, so should we talk about the sort of John Hughes um, oof? It is, like, 
unbelievable what he's responsible for and in what amount of time. So I'm going to skip any of the ones that aren't like his first movie that he wrote and produced, but didn't direct was national lampoons class reunion, which it's not until vacation that we care about national lampoons, which doesn't come until the next year, but starting his, his, (laughs) they made movies so fast. It is crazy. So he starts in 90, 1982. I said, I'm not going to mention it. I did mention it. Mm -hmm. It's national lampoons class reunion. I've never seen it. I don't even think I knew it was a movie, but then Mm -hmm. starting in 1983, Mr. Mom, he wrote, National oh. Lampoon's Vacation, he wrote. Nathan Hayes, I don't know what that is, but he mm. wrote it. But then, so that's, but that's all in 1983. Starting 1984, he directed and wrote 16 Candles. He directed, wrote, and produced The Breakfast Club. He wrote National Lampoon's European Vacation. He directed and wrote Weird Science. He wrote and executive produced Pretty in Pink. He wrote, directed, and produced Ferris Bueller's Day Off. That's the first one in this list that really matters to me. I love, mm. I, I, I like, you know, I, I really like weird, uh, weird science. Um, like I said, 16 Candles and Breakfast Club. I just didn't spend it. I just didn't rewatch that those two a right. million times as a kid. Um, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. He, he triple triple handed director, writer, producer. Like I said, that's 86, 87. Some kind of wonderful written and produced planes, trains and automobiles. Now we're really mm-hmm. clocking in written, directed and produced. She's having a baby written, directed and produced great outdoors written and produced uncle buck written directed and produced national lampoon's vegas vacation these are huge films and this is we've only gotten through the first five years of his career at this point it's fucking insane uncle buck written directed and produced national lampoon's christmas vacation written and produced home alone written and produced career opportunities that's not what Mm -hmm. i know only the lonely he's a producer on doesn't really matter then we get back into my run um (laughs) dutch he's a writer and producer and that movie was like me and my dad's like like our you know movie yeah. um like whenever it was on we would call the other one and be like quick dutch is on yeah my dad's one of those movies was top secret i've never with seen val that. kilmer oh god i've never it's seen another that. it's like an airplane kind of movie it's like airplane in relationship to what you were just saying about um john hughes and how insanely prolific he was he apparently was writing Ferris Bueller's Day Off while he was supposed to be rewriting Some Kind of Wonderful. So this is from that same Mental Floss article. It says, Deutsch and Hughes would work on Some Kind of Wonderful script late at night, and Deutsch would fall asleep on the couch in their office while Hughes typed up rewrites of the script. He would stay up all night, music blasting, and at like 5.30 or 6 a.m. he'd hand me what was supposed to be a rewrite on Some Kind of Wonderful. Deutsch told blah, blah. We needed five pages, and it was 50 pages. I said, what did you do? He said, Oh, I didn't do that. I did something else. Tell me what you think. And it was Ferris Bueller's Day Off. He wrote the first half of the movie in like eight hours and then finished it a couple of days later. Insane. It is insane. And I just to remind everybody, in quick succession, Pretty in Pink, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Some Kind of Wonderful, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, She's Having a Baby, The Great Outdoors, Uncle Buck. That is a three-year period. And then... Just to, it's so crazy. And then, like I said, Dutch, Ethan Embry, Ed O'Neill. And then a movie that I love that you haven't seen, he wrote, directed, and produced Curly Sue. Mm -hmm. It's another young kid movie. It's funny to think about this now as pairing Pretty in Pink and Some Kind of Wonderful. And then Dutch, again, is a movie about a kind of like cranky man bonding with a young, precocious Mm -hmm. kid. Curly Sue is about a cranky man 
bonding with a young precocious kid who's not his kid. It's just she's mm-hmm. a she's a girl. They're both homeless um, and they kind of link up. And in Dutch, it's Ed O'Neill's girlfriend's kid. Um, but it is funny that he it seems like he does these like this is one version of it. Yeah. Now here's another. So I'd be interested. I'll have to look into the the filmmaking history of those two movies. And then mm. you, I'm sure, don't care nearly as much about this as I do. But uh, you were way too old for it at this you weren't way too old for it. Uh-huh. I was six okay. when Beethoven came out. So you would have been a teenager. Yeah. And no, in not... that's, you were well, like you were past where a movie like Beethoven, which I. was smoking I... cigarettes exactly. and listening to Nirvana. Yeah. And hanging out behind the cafeteria. Though I will say he's credited as Edmund Dante's for Beethoven. And Edmund Dante's is the, um, the protagonist of the Count of Monte Cristo. So <laughs> it's very funny that he's using that as his. A fucking pseudonym for Beethoven. Um, Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. Dennis the Menace, Baby's Day Out. <laughs> Miracle 34th Street, 101 Dalmatians, Flubber. And oh then my... it gets weird. It's like... Good God. Oh, yeah. But well, th- and that's but... 10... That's less than 15 years, all those movies. And then some like weird ones like Drillbit Taylor and Made in Manhattan. We don't need to... He did the stories yeah. on. Well, and sort of in relation to that, I feel like because this and Pretty in Pink were so close together... Apparently, he offered Molly Ringwald the role of Leah Tom- that Leah Thompson took, I think, and she declined it because she felt that it was too derivative of the other films she'd already made with him. Which it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh, no, he wanted her to play Watts. Um, oh, funny. Which would have been interesting. Um, he also offered a part to Andrew McCarthy, um, who also turned it down because it was too close to like other things he had done would he have been i'm guessing keith Keith? yeah or maybe um hardy be a weird hardy but also a weird keith huh yeah and also apparently leah thompson said yes because she had just done howard the duck have you ever heard her talk about that movie um I don't think so. She but has she's, such... In this article, she says, I was so freaked out because Howard the Duck was such a brutal bloodbath. I was so afraid to even look the crew in the eyes. I cried the first <gasps> day of shooting. I was like, I don't know how to act. I just felt so vulnerable and beaten. In a way, it was like getting on a bicycle after you fall down. That is wow. wild because what I know about it is she's been the biggest champion for a sequel. Like, she really wants a Howard the Duck, too. It's really interesting to hear her talk about. She has, I guess both of those things can be true, but I think she has a lot of weird love for that movie. I'm sure she does now, as it, but at the time, I think it was such a disaster, yeah. like, originally. that I love that movie. Yeah. Are you a Howard the Duck fan? It creeps me out. That's fair. That's fair. It creeps me out, too. That's why, that's why I like it. Yeah. I always forget what a bomb that was. It makes sense that it was because it is so weird. Yes. Um, wait, am I wrong about this? What? This article I'm looking at from this month says, despite the immense popularity of the movie, Thompson had some pretty bad memories from the film as the actor later revealed that she regretted doing the film. Hmm. But I've definitely heard her talk about this is she clearly has some complicated feelings about this movie because this is a quote from her. Um, 
people love Howard the Duck and those are some of my favorite fans because anybody that goes, I don't care what anybody says, I think it's really cool, is my kind of person. I love that it's had a resurgence and I love all the fans because they're iconoclasts. They don't like to be told what mm-hmm. to like and what to hate, she added. The actor claimed that she is a Marvel queen with crimped hair and a guitar crowned even before the beginning of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, and hmm. she, yeah, she wants to direct. She wants to direct the sequel. Oh my God. She's... This is so interesting. I She's like serious about it. I've been directing a lot of sci-fi shows, big shows, to learn how to do the special effects and all that. I've been trying to learn all my special effects just in case Marvel calls. You need some more women directors, she told Jimmy Fallon on the Tonight Show appearance. Oh, my God. The studio passed on the pro- Like, they pitched it and everything. Wow. That is really interesting to hear somebody be like, I had a miserable experience. Also, I love it. Like, yeah, she's fascinating. Yeah. Okay, I'm glad that huh. I didn't miss... That would be a weird thing for me to be like, she loves it so much. And then it's like, actually... Okay. So it's complicated. Yeah. Sorry, that was a lot on uh, Howard the Duck. <laughs> I love that movie. I won't make you watch it. Or Ninja Turtles, even though now I really, really want to. We have we have some, I think, better things to get through before we dive into uh yeah that'll be your various animal you know stories yeah that'll be year three of our uh (laughs) mid-season break hiatus i know oh i did want to say and this may be this is really jumping all the way back to our beginning conversation but i did find something that to me expressed the gender part of this pretty well um about like perception versus what was kind of being actually offered. This is just a, a little blurb by Melanie Korn, who is the president of Columbus College of Art and Design, or at least was at this time. Um, and she basically said it, I think, pretty well. She said, as a young person, I understood the problematic nature of these homophobic stereotypes. Women must be hyper-feminine to be attractive. All masculine women are lesbians, and lesbians are bad. And yet each moment of calling attention to Watts's gender queerness was an, affir- an affirmation of my own identity and desire. Through negative, Though negative, stereotypes can also cue recognition. When your identity is taboo, there's an excitement in feeling like you were a part of a secret club who can pick up on signs of otherness and queerness that are just under the surface of straight characters and their love stories. At 13, I simultaneously wanted to be Watts and be with Watts. 30-something years later, I'm still grateful for Watts and Ducky, Alice in the Basket Case Reynolds, and other queer-slash-not-queer characters created by Hughes, who helped me see what my life might look like in a time before Will and Grace and Ellen. The only better ending for some kind of wonderful than Watts and Keith finally getting together might have been for Watts to sweep Amanda off her feet, or better yet, for Watts to break the fourth wall and with a knowing week beckon me into her 1980s cool world to be my punk rock girlfriend. I just... I had to read the whole thing. I apologize. No, I loved I think, it so much yeah. because it, it really says like the usefulness of that people find, whether it's meant to be there or not, in these types of characters. Despite how confused I was about parts of this movie, I was not confused for a second about why you loved it so much and why even yeah. today in 2023, it's a movie you still wanted to revisit. It's yeah, it's like the thesis of of why we're here talking about mm-hmm. it. Yeah, I don't feel about this the way where, like, I keep holding Radio Flyer up as the example of maybe, like, a misstep, even though I'm glad we talked about it and I do still love that movie. 
But it's challenging to think about that being a movie that still matters to me in a way that this, I don't think I, if I had been you this week, I would have felt the need, like, to defend myself in the same way I sort of, or the movie in the same way I sort of did with Radio Flyer. Like, it makes so much sense. Yeah. I will say Candace Cameron is this, in this movie and oh, we didn't she even can fuck off. Talk about his siblings. They're both annoying. So annoying. Yeah. And in a in like a really like it's like not in like a charming little like you not know Not like Shannon Doherty and girls just want to have fun. Yeah, exactly. They're just where she's annoying spunky and and annoying but also like useful and fun yeah they're just there to be annoying yeah i like this movie this was fun i'm glad we filled in a little bit of your john hughes list yeah um yeah well my john hughes list i think we've crossed everything off now i think any of the ones that matter like obviously Mm -hmm. whatever whatever in haze was i think i think i've got all of them now yeah. Oh, I just have to point out I that think the you're thumbnail missing for this one. I am. Um before we get to that though, I just yeah. have to point out that the thumbnail of this movie is the bisexual lighting um meme on uh Max. Max knows. Max knows. I I feel like there's gotta be like, you know, a queer person that made that uh graphic. Oh yeah. Also I just want to point out that I think the reason I didn't buy Eric Stoltz uh, in this role now and maybe did then is because at one point when I lived in the city, I ate brunch near him in the East Village. Um, (laughs) He was at a place that I was having brunch with my friends and it just was like, okay. I like it. What if now maybe the only movies you pick are... um... (laughs) ones where because you and mr big also had a moment right oh that's right at Katz's. <laughs> yeah i wonder what other weird celebrity encounters when i lived in new york i could i could mine for content <laughs> that's a great question um there weren't that many sadly that's so funny is there anything you want in our little bits of housekeeping to um i don't think so hmm I am going to be in Jersey. <laughs> it's very exciting. I'm going to be home this week. Uh, I'm going to be home. Um, going to Chris's, Chris Gethard's show in Patterson. Yeah, on... He is on his nearly totally sold out world tour. Of New Jersey. Yeah. Of New, New Jersey. Jersey. Is the world. Uh-huh. Yes. Um, yes. I'm very excited. So going to the Patterson show. Yeah. Get some bagels at Hot Bagels in Fairlawn. Yeah. Shout out to them. I will also be there. I don't plan on getting any bagels from Hot Bagels in Fairlawn, but come. Oh, Jody's so disappointed. I just didn't <laughs> I have know. that on my to do list. I want to go see the Great Falls. I want to say yeah. hi to um, any of our New Jersey's The World listeners who will also be there. Also, any of our Watchers listeners, if you're in the mm-hmm. area, come to the Patterson show. I should also say I will also be at the Haddon Heights show in November because that's around the corner from me and it is his world tour so he's hitting all 21 counties yeah Um, and uh yeah that's it i'm gonna be in the homeland so so listeners just really take the jody you've known these past i think this is episode 20 episode 19 these Uh last 19 episodes and 
bookmark this because the Jody who's coming back is going to be bigger, better, stronger, faster. The accent will be back. <laughs> yeah. You're recharging. I am recharging. I'm so I need to breathe the air and drink the water so that I can get my strength back. You're going to be so strong. I can't wait. I can't wait. <laughs> It's going to be fun. Um, Put it in my veins. Yeah. I have a recommendation and then I have a question. Um, My recommendation is recently. Let's see how recent. I I just want to recommend a podcast in general, but an episode in particular. Okay. Oh, Um, I think I know where this is going. There's a podcast I really love called Gender Spiral. And with that title, um, you can imagine that it is something that is that has some like spiritual I would say connections to Mm -hmm. some of the conversations we have um, hosted by Allie Beardsley and Babette Thomas. It's fantastic. Every episode's great. But a recent episode, August 8th, is uh, Pirates, Vikings and Skateboarders. And it's uh, Liv Houston, who we love so much. That's our our van from Yellow Jackets. And they have such a fun and funny and thoughtful and frank conversation about about uh gender and queerness and all of the stuff that we're interested into and also they're all just lovely and delightful and i was like just smiling so big listening through that whole episode and uh live continues to be the coolest person on the yeah on the planet i think maybe maybe yeah um, no i'm excited to listen to that episode you sent it to me it's just it's it's great and you'll feel good after you listen to it so go check it out um and then the other thing is i don't know how you and i didn't know about this show until <laughs> nj.com posted an article about it yesterday. There's a new teen like thriller series on Amazon. It's based on a series of young adult novels that I also can't believe I didn't know about um, set firmly in New Jersey. It's called Shelter. Mm. Um, it's by Harlan Coben. He is a mystery writer. And I think this series is sort of a like spiritual spinoff to an adult series that he writes. Um, mm. But uh, it is set and filmed all over New Jersey. I think it takes Livingston as its inspiration, though I think it's set in a fictional <laughs> town. I <laughs> I have no feelings about Livingston other than what I've absorbed by osmosis through our West Orange friends. But um, but, uh, but, but yeah, it's, it's called Shelter, and it's gotten, from what I've seen, pretty good reviews. It's got a... 83% on Rotten Tomatoes is the tomato meter. It's audience score 79%, which isn't bad. Um, no. I don't know, again, that I, I can't personally recommend it yet. I'm actually talking about it on the podcast because I'd be interested if any of our listeners have seen it. Um, either comment on whatever clip I end up posting for this episode or shoot us an email mm-hmm. um, at WatchersPodNJ or um, a message on our Instagram at WatchersPodNJ and let us know if it's any good. And if you think like we can kind of do whatever we want. So if this first season is really great, there's no reason we can't do yeah, a review of it. Um, I'm going to check it out. And that just <laughs> that just uh, reminded me we got a really lovely message on Instagram from one of our listeners, Ash, um, that uh, they said, uh, I save New Jersey memes any chance I get just to show them to your request inbox. And I want to say, send us all the memes, send us all your Jersey, send us all your memes listeners, but especially send us all your Jersey memes. I, um, I will share this one because it's a, I love the New Jersey transit one. It's, (laughs) it's so good. And it's so niche. It's like so perfect for us. Um, yeah. I don't even know how to just. Dis- it's not what you can really describe. 
Yeah, no, just post it on our Instagram. Um, I'm going to add it to our uh, to our stories um, when this episode comes up so you can see it. But it's it's perfect and hilarious. And Ash, yeah. I want to thank you so much for sending us that. And please do continue sending us Jersey memes. Um, There's nothing I like more. Yeah, no. Uh, listeners, um, we, live, we love sharing your five-star reviews. I would say we love sharing all of your reviews, but you're so nice and you guys have only left us five-star They're reviews. So nice. So which nice. is so nice um i don't have any new ones to share this week so if you've um, been listening and haven't reviewed us and you feel like it feel free and we'll read it next week we um, would appreciate it i just realized i'm saying goodbye and i haven't told our listeners what we're watching yet. i know i'm 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 uh on the edge of my seat myself because i don't know what we're, do- we're doing next week it's time now that we've already said goodbye to, to let everybody know what we're watching next week it's another one you're gonna have to rent it's another one i think is three to four dollars well spent um we've been kind of hanging out in this sort of like high school era which makes sense um we're gonna keep hanging out in 1987 as we've said it's a great year for movies i think we talked about that recently um and it is a sort of it's tangentially that's the word of the episode uh the word of the week (laughs) for the watchers it's tangentially related to um john hughes and that it is a high school movie kind of but also it's a john crier movie Um, yeah and it's it's again it's a movie that i loved as a kid well before i was in high school it's a movie that i probably i don't know what the rating is on it but it's certainly one that did you watch it when you were four? I watched when I was very young. Um, and it's just- I still can't get over the fact that you that you watched Death Becomes Her when you were six. I really think... Ooh, Annabeth Gish is in that. Yeah, and yep. It's John Cryer, Keith Coogan, Annabeth Gish, and a bunch of other people. But they're the three um, main ones. It's very fun. Uh, it's... John Cryer is like a... I, th- I think he works on Wall Street, but he gets like caught up with the mob and he goes into witness protection um and he goes to like his i think it's his cousin he like um enrolls in his high school and hijinks ensue Mm -hmm. uh it's extremely 80s john crier has a perfect haircut (laughs) it's quite a haircut it's so good we're going back to haircut movies so it's we kind of didn't leave haircut no we kind of this podcast is kind of just haircut movies haircut movies yeah um and this is another one uh i can't wait it's great. I love it. Uh, I have not seen it in a very, very long time. So I'm gonna... judging by the trailer. There's probably some stuff that doesn't hold up in terms of race specifically, um, which we are aware of, and uh, we will, I'm yeah. sure, talk about next week once we have a better idea. Um, so I would say probably any of the content warnings that have applied for any other '80s comedy that we have watched so far are likely to apply here. Um, yeah so just keep that in mind i will put more specific ones in the show notes next week once we've actually watched the movie through the eyes of this podcast um so take a look there and um is that everything i think so yeah i already said we are at watchers pod nj everywhere send us an email come say hi on instagram i'm at aq andrea q on instagram and other places and I am Jody underscore Mim, J-O-D-I-E underscore M-I-M on Instagram, but it is my art account, so. And it it's... is Jody's art account, and it's great. Sure. Yes, <laughs> it's fiber art. 
We'll see if you like it. So follow Jody underscore Mim. Uh, follow me if you want. I just posted. Oh, I posted. Oh, yeah. If you want to see a beautiful <laughs> picture of my perfect dog, Casey, he's up on the feed right now over at Watchers Pod NJ. Um, go leave him. I, a- I support. Yeah, I support our our watchers' uh, social media accounts just becoming uh, your dog and cats. It's just Pacey all the time. He was just, he was being so perfect, and I thought that our listeners might like to see him being so perfect. I bet they would. And he's there. I you bet they see would. see him now. Um, thanks for hanging out while we're doing this weird little podcast, y'all. Um, yeah. We will see you next week with John Cryer hiding out goodbye we said that that's the movie right i, I think so <laughs> i can't yeah. remember you said the name i did okay. i did say the name awesome we will see you all next week <laughs> <laughs>